All right, here we are, the 511 show. This is our interview series. Uh, I have Derek DeBras with us. Uh, Derek, you're a lawyer. Obviously, we've known each other for quite some time now. Yeah, like what, eight years, nine years? Eight, nine years, yeah. and, and not only from uh, the practice of law, but obviously elsewhere. So uh, why don't you just take a second? You're, you're obviously an attorney, uh, and you focus on gun rights. Yeah, it's primarily all we do. I actually run two law practices. I, we have a non, non-gun general practice based out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, but then three years ago, we, we carved out the gun practice in our, uh, at, from Barney to Bross and put it into a new practice known as Cheshire to Bross PC. My law partner is Clay Cheshire. Uh, based, he was based at the time out of Atlanta, Georgia, so we maintain an office in Atlanta. He's now running our Louisville office in Kentucky. So we have three offices, uh, and we have attorneys around the country that are of counsel with us. And all we do is anything uh, regarding firearms and the sporting goods, sporting goods industry, and we do that internationally, actually, all over the world. Wow. Um, there's, there's no secret here why I, I called you for this interview. It's sort of timely, right? Because mm-hmm. I, every time I turn on the news lately, all I see are debates about gun control, gun violence, uh, the Second Amendment, etc. And uh, I thought it might be helpful to sort of cover some of those topics. I think you're being generous when you say debates, but okay. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> certainly it is a, it's a slanted debate, right? There's more people, it seems, right. uh, the hue and cry is to uh, at least invoke some sort of gun control, if not an absolute right. gun ban. Yeah. Um, before we get there, uh, why? How'd you get into this? Uh, you know, I grew up in a small town in Ohio, out in the western side of the state, and um, very conservative area. My parents uh, were were are very differently uh, politically aligned, I would say. Uh, and so I didn't grow up with firearms, at least not allowed to have them. But all my friends had them. And because uh, it was a small town, I was out in the country a lot. I just, I always liked being outside and always had a fascination with firearms. I just enjoyed shooting. Um, I like to say that my uncle Sam taught me how to shoot, meaning the military. You were in the military. I was in the military for six years and did a tour of duty in Iraq. Got to play with the big guns, you know, all that sort of thing. Always enjoyed it. Uh, and just kind of always had a love of firearms and enjoyed the sport of shooting. I actually don't hunt. I'm not a hunter. Um, just didn't grow up hunting. I really don't have the patience for it, so... Uh, but I like to target shoot. I like doing tactical training and things like that. I actually enjoy the training, the camaraderie that comes with it. So when I got licensed to practice law, I realized very quickly that uh, most attorneys were very unhappy and generally alcoholics or drug addicts. And I figured it out pretty quickly as to why is because they take the first job they can get out of law school. They hate it. They don't enjoy it. And, you know, their lives kind of go downhill after that. So I said, I'm going to do something I like. So you combined your interest with a practice area right. law. Right. And I might add, at the right time. That's correct. No one else was doing it at the time. Not, not marketed the way I market it. You know, you have criminal defense lawyers that might dabble in expungement and restoration rights and self-defense, but they weren't uh, solely focusing on that. You know, the only criminal defense I do involves firearms. I don't, I don't handle it, a criminal case anymore, unless it involves a firearm. Well, and there's, I have learned, and actually, let me back up even farther. I recall a time back in about 2010 uh, something came up on a Facebook feed for me or now nah, it might even been a blog or, or some sort of um, feed that attorneys get a trade journal for lack of a better way to put it. And you had outlined something about firearms. And I, bar- I knew your name, but barely knew you at that time. And I remember reading this thinking, this guy knows his stuff. I mean, mm. this was it was a, some sort of comprehensive explanation of something to do with guns. And it might have been to do it might have to do with a Brady Bill or something. But mm. I, I remember reading that thinking. If I ever have a gun problem or an issue in my practice, I'm calling you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, we've hooked up. We've worked on cases together. Right. Um, but it, uh, you sort of caught that wave of, uh, of gun-related legal work at a mm-hmm. time that I didn't even know such a thing existed. Right. 
uh, and I, I came to learn there is a huge area of law dealing with the regulatory side of it. There is. Um, with, uh, uh, with ATF, with mm-hmm. regulatory schemes, people who want to buy and trade and sell mm-hmm. guns, mm-hmm. even people who want to repair guns. Yep. Um, and you seem to have uh, mastered that side of it. And yeah, I, you know, not just myself. Uh, my partner, Clay Cheshire, is a big part of that. And we have a team of retired ATF agents and State Department. And I mean, you deal with it. almost every agency in the government you can imagine with firearms. I mean, we're doing tax stuff now with the Tax and Trade Bureau. You know, you name it, we deal with the Department of State. Um, uh, you have uh, import and export stuff, customs. You, you know, there's a lot to firearms regulations that most people don't understand. Yeah, far more, even than uh, I understand. There is, there's a lot. And, and I, I, I now know there is enough to know that I don't know at all. I couldn't yeah. come close. Um, all right, let's sort of turn back the clock. The debate now is raging. Uh, there are folks out there who are calling to ban all guns. Mm-hmm. There are co- folks out there who are calling to have guns uh, bought back, so to speak. We'll say bought back by mm-hmm. the government, which means seized or taken by the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there are folks on the other side saying, no, we've got a Second Amendment right. Uh, the government can't take our guns. Uh, maybe we should just, uh, here's what I like to do. I like to take a step back in my position anyway and look at both sides of this debate and say, um, all right, I'm going to stand in the middle and I'm going to give this an honest assessment. And I think any time we're dealing with a constitutional right in our country, uh, we need to start there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Second Amendment talks about militia and our right to bear arms. Uh, what has the Supreme Court said about the Second Amendment? Uh, as it stands like today's law. Yeah, the, the the primary case that we should focus on when we're addressing that question is is uh, DCV Heller. Uh, and Dick Heller, actually no Dick, I've met the guy uh, several times at the NRA conventions, uh, brought a lawsuit against the District of Columbia because he wasn't allowed to have a firearm in his own home uh, for defensive purposes. And they had uh, these very onerous restrictions. And uh, he lost all the way up to the Supreme Court. Then when he got to the Supreme Court, he won. And it was a landmark case in what the Supreme Court held and it was Justice Scalia writing for the majority of the court. Um, uh, rest in peace. He passed away, what, two, three years ago? I uh, a couple years ago, yeah. Yeah, he, he wrote a very eloquent, as always, decision. And it basically said that it's not a collective right, meaning a militia right. Uh, that's what the argument had always been, that the, the right only applies to the militia because the word, I think it's the word militia is used. For a well-regulated right. mil- yeah. militia. It yeah. talks about that, yes. Yeah. And it, it, it parsed out how it was written, and it talked a lot about the grammar and the prefatory clause and what that meant. Uh, but the ultimate conclusion of the court in the majority of four, four, uh, three split, I believe, right? I believe it was. Five, yeah. four it was, split. It was definitely, a, it was a plurality, or yeah. it was a, there was a majority decision. Yeah, it was a majority decision. It was a split along political lines for the most part. Kennedy being the deciding vote. Five, four. I don't know why I said four, three. There's nine justices. But yes. five, four. Um, basically said that it was an individual right. And then two years later in 2010, that was in 2008, uh, the question was, does it get incorporated to the states? Right. And that's always the question. Once you have. Let me stop you there for a second, just so we can explain. So the first question or the first thing you brought up was individual right versus collective right. Collective right. Mm-hmm. Um, and a collective right would be like. Um, society at large. Society at large has this right, right meaning it, it applies more generally versus right. individual, meaning an individual has a choice or right. a right. Or, first Amendment is a good example. It's an individual right. I have a right of freedom of speech. I have the right of freedom of religion. Right. And that can't generally be. Um, I don't want to say regulated because they can be regulated, but it can't be uh, taken from the government, right? They can't take it away from me. Yes. Uh, without due process, at least. Uh, or, or some good reason, right? We're right. going to get to that because there's a lot of people that would say, all right, individual, collective, uh, hooey, 
Uh, we, we all the time as a government decide to uh, limit, restrict, infringe, whatever the term would be, mm-hmm. other constitutional rights like the Fourth Amendment, like mm-hmm. the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are great places to start. Sixth Amendment's regulated. Sixth Amendment. Uh, and, and why not then with the Second Amendment? Why not just broaden right. it out? I mean, that's sort of what people are saying. Well, I, you know, I think uh, getting to that, uh, the first question that had to be addressed by the Supreme Court was, does it apply to the state? So Heller said it applies to the federal government. The federal government uh, has to recognize that this is an individual right, which brings with it, of course, their, you know, their um, limits on how they can restrict it. So we had to determine, is it an individual or collective right? Once we determine it was an individual right, then there's a wealth of jurisprudence that says, this is how you restrict an individual right. But can the states go beyond that? And in 2010, uh, Chicago, McDonald v. Chicago um, was decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. And I believe that was Chief Justice, um, yeah, I had a brain fart. You have to forgive me, what's his name? Chief Justice wrote it. Um, uh, we're, we're both having the same. That's okay. Uh, the Chief Justice. The Chief Justice. Yeah. You're right. Uh, wrote the, I believe wrote the opinion. I believe it was him. And said, yes, it is incorporated to the states. So the states are bound by the same restrictions. Now, what we're talking about here is, and, and this is sort of a Roberts. general. Roberts. Roberts. Yes. Uh, we're talking about this general concept that we have a federal government and we have, a, we have individual state governments. And believe it or not, there was a time probably in our parents' lives, if not our grandparents' lives, we're going to a different state. It was not it was maybe closer than than you think to going to a different country. They have mm-hmm. different rules, right? And you see the old the old westerns. He's going across state lines. And he's right. gone. They can't get him. Well, the federal government, uh, conceptually speaking, has sort of seized more power over sure. the states. And this is only just by way of background. We have a scenario where, uh, even though it seems like it's all one country now, and all the states are just sort of eh, maybe amalgamation, but. Uh, if there is a federal right, it still has to have some mechanism to flow down and apply That's to correct. the states. Yeah. And then if it does, the question becomes, what can the states do to limit that right maybe further than right. the federal exactly. government has, exactly. or maybe give more uh, than right. the federal government has. And that's, I think that's a concept you're talking about with Right, with the and there's and constitutional that. protections, but not every element of the United States Constitution applies to the states. Yes. Right? It's gotta be incorporated to the states. Uh, and there's a whole analysis that they went through to determine that. And it does. It applies to the state. So they can't, the state of Ohio, for instance, is restricted just as much as the federal government on restricting and regulating my Second Amendment rights. Right. Now, this is, I'm going to draw a parallel here because there's a concept then that says the state of Ohio, if we decided here in Ohio, for instance, that we hate guns. Uh, and our governor is going to say, uh, this is my platform. I'm getting rid of guns. We're going to ban all guns mm-hmm. in the state of Ohio. What we're saying is then that amounts to a challenge in federal court. That's a violation of a, the, the argument yes. would be that violates our federal rights. The constitutional uh, violation. The same kind of concept as a parallel that if the state of Ohio said, we are going to ban all abortions. Right, exactly. Uh, it becomes a federal right. right. So, yeah. and this is one of my pet peeves in the world, or at least our country, for, for, is that if people are going to take a certain stance on limiting one constitutional right, mm-hmm. then we have to be very, very cautious about how that might be used, the same power that is, to change or alter or uh, impinge upon another one. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm more of a, a libertarian in that regard and, and strict about how much power I want to give the government over those things. But uh, conceptually speaking, we're talking about a state doing things uh, that might consider to be a violation of our federal constitutional right, that is the Second Amendment. That's right. All right. Yeah. So if the state of Ohio did that, we end up in the Supreme Court. Well, and you see cases being brought forward all the time. You could end up in the United States Supreme Court, but a lot of times they are brought at the state level. They start there. Yeah, they start there. Uh, and you see cases being brought in California all the time. They always pass gun restrictions 
and gun laws, and you're, there's currently several cases pending in, in California and in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, New York's another good example. Illinois is another good example. These more onerous, restrictive states are always being sued because of their gun regulation. Gotcha. Um, now, once there is a, a regulation like that in an individual state, the federal government, it takes time for the feds to get up there and, mm-hmm. or to get to the Supreme Court and review it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so say in California, what is the, they decide to pass gun control here or ban guns in Ohio. How long before that changes? If, or well, you, it, it depends on the attorney. You want to make sure you get an attorney that really understands the law, A, but you would want to get a permanent or preliminary injunction issued right away so that they can't enforce it. Sort of like what's going on, with the, and I think, in Alabama with the abortion challenges that right. were going on we, we, we sued uh, uh, the city of Cincinnati and Columbus on their bump stock ban, and we got a preliminary injunction, which ultimately turned into a permanent injunction. Uh, it's still pending in the courts right now, but we got that pretty quickly uh, before the case was resolved. So that's just kind of the procedural process that you would take. All right, so now we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about some more stuff, uh, and I want to get to the good stuff about the political debate, perhaps, uh, on gun control. Okay. All right, back from break here at the show at 511, ha- sitting here with Derek DeBross. Uh, during a break, I-, I picked up a book of mine. Uh, it's a book called Know the Bill of Rights, written by a guy named Sean Patrick. Uh, what's interesting about this, he actually goes through in a very easy, sort of readable way, some of the history be behind each right and uh, gives an explanation. But I thought we'd just pull out something real quick um, and just read the Second Amendment. Uh, it says, a well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed. Now, before I ask your opinion on that, um, uh, just some quick jurisprudence or, or legal thought. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things that uh, people believe and want to believe in our country. And I've been on both sides of those debates as, a, as an attorney, as a citizen, as everything else. Um, but I've learned one hard, fast, uh, sometimes unfortunate thing, and that is when the Supreme Court says so, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning, if you don't agree with abortion, well, guess what? The Supreme Court says so. Or you're ruled on it. Way. Right. You're stuck. You can complain all you want, and you can fight to get a case back up, but that is the law of the land. Right. Now, we can go back and turn back the clock and debate whether Marbury versus Madison should even exist. Right, right. Forget about that. But right now, that's the law of the land. Um, what has, so you said Heller has sort of decided this collective versus individualism. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start here, though, first. What, what does that mean? You said the yeah, grammar so matters. The argument, basically, uh, the grammar does matter. Uh, there's a prefatory clause. There, you know, the... the uh, uh, a well-regulated militia being uh, um, necessary for the security of a free state. It's just a prefatory clause, kind of the reason that the Second Amendment exists. Uh, if I were to say, I'm sick today, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to work, period. Right? That's, the fa- that's a fact of the matter. The reason I'm not going to work is because I'm sick today. So a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state is the reason, right? We have to make sure that the government doesn't become uh, overly oppressive. And we need to make sure we have security and that the freedom of our country is kept intact. Therefore, the right of the people, and the word people has a legal, ter- a legal meaning, right? It's a term of art, right? The right of the people uh, under the First Amendment to have freedom of speech. It's an individual right. The person has that right. Same thing in the Second Amendment. So the prefatory clause is kind of just the reason, right? And then we have the right actually enumerated, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So the argument would go, the, the Second Amendment recognizes that uh, there might be times, again, in, in our country where a militia is necessary. And by very definition, uh, a militia is only called upon as needed. And in order to have it ready when needed, 
the people ought to have a right to bear arms. Otherwise, right. it wouldn't do much good. They right. couldn't. They couldn't fight anything. Yeah, and for for what it's worth, I mean, Ohio has a, a state-funded militia. We have one. It's 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 funded by the government. It's in the budget. It's the Ohio Military Reserve, and it's a cadre, essentially a skeleton cadre of officers that have former military experience uh, that work for free, and they do duty every month, and they're not armed. Uh, presumably, they have their own arms if they need to, but if there was a issue where the state militia had to be called up, they could they have the cadre there, and then the actual Ohio Constitution says every able-bodied young uh, man, woman, and child is actually part of the militia. They would fill in as the enlisted rank, so to speak, and the cadre is already there. So, so if we need a militia, they call it up, and yeah. people just we actually join. have a navy too. We have one boat. Is that right? We have one boat at Lake Erie. Yeah, that's pretty so cool. There's a naval Ohio a naval reserve, I believe, is what it's called. Well, what about the argument then on the other side? It's like, all right, at the time of the Second Amendment, we had just gone through this whole war where we didn't really have a standing army, uh, and this actually isn't quite true because that was not at the time of the amendments. But uh, maybe in close in close proximity historically. They were looking back and said it took essentially in a militia to mm -hmm. help defeat uh, the British. Mm -hmm. uh, and nobody can even conceive of anything like that happening right now. So we don't really need a militia. That right is passe, uh, no longer necessary. Let's just get rid of it. Well, go ahead and try to amend the Constitution then. You know, this argument that the Constitution is alive and breathing documents nonsense. Uh, I guess in, the sen in a sense it is because we have an amendment process. If it was, if it was an organic being that changed with time, uh, one, I don't know where in the world in the law that ever exists. If I have a contract with you and I say, eh, I really don't like the terms. That was a year ago. I'm going to change it today. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, it's not alive and breathing. That's why there's an amendment process. If you don't like it, we can change it. That might be the case. I mean, if you honestly, if these people believe, the anti-gun community believes that it, it's outdated, that's fine. The founding fathers foresaw that. They weren't stupid. And they provided the amendment process for that. So, I mean, your position would be then: look, if we're going to change, if we're going to do anything to eliminate this right to bear arms, or if we're going to implement this kind of gun control that we're hearing about, then it's got to start with an amendment to the Constitution. Uh, theoretically, yes. I mean, there is, the the jurisprudence is clear that you can regulate fundamental rights, right? Even personal rights like the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, so on and so forth. I can't go out and yell fire in a crowded movie theater, right? That's yes. not protected by the First Amendment. There is certain limitations to that. Um, but that doesn't mean we are uh, uh, just completely getting rid of it. Right? If you want to do that, you have to use the amendment process to amend the Bill of Rights. Now look, without taking a position on, on whether uh, yet about whether there should be gun control or not gun control, i got to comment on this because I hear this argument all the time, not only in the context of a Second Amendment debate about gun control, but in other constitutional areas. I hear the, the prosecution in, in my criminal defense practice or even other people in just a, over a, a barstool debate type thing. They say, well, look, um, of course we can change the Second Amendment or we can, we can uh, regulate and impinge upon the Second Amendment using the General Assembly. We do it all the time, right? It happens all the time with things like uh, the First Amendment, like firing a crowded theater or restricting students' uh, speech at school mm -hmm. or some other uh, requiring people to get permits to march on, on, right. on the government. Those are restrictions. Uh, and therefore, we do it all the time, so we should do it here. Now, th this is my pet peeve. Irrespective of guns would be all right, first of all, just because we chipped away at one right that I didn't agree with, it certainly doesn't mean it's cool to chip right. away with more other rights. Sure. And secondly, to chip away at a right, it, I don't want to say it takes uh, a movement of glaciers, but there's a standard. Uh, it, it has to get reviewed. 
uh, constitutional rights, when they're impinged upon, are viewed with something called strict scrutiny. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess in simple terms, that means you really, really, really have to have a great reason to do it. Otherwise, it's going to be declared right. unconstitutional. Now, there's a far more technical legal thing we get into, but um, that's my pet peeve on it. Uh, so you're saying that there, there may be limits to the Second Amendment, uh, and my position would be, yes, there may be, but we have to be careful about it. Oh, absolutely. And it's certainly not just disbanding well, it and getting rid of it because we don't agree. And you had mentioned, you had mentioned the term strict scrutiny. That's actually something right now that we're, we want the Supreme Court to, to rule on. They haven't. I took a case up the Sixth Circuit and argued it orally, arguing that strict scrutiny should apply to the Second Amendment. By and large, the majority of jurisdictions have said intermediate. So I always like to say it like this to non-lawyers. There's an easy standard, a medium standard, and a hard standard yes. to constitutional review. Right when you're trying to say is the, this law constitutional, are they going to they're going to review it and say, well, it just has to meet this easy standard, this medium standard, or this hard standard? Right now, the courts seem inclined to say the, the the medium standard. So the Supreme Court has taken the position that if you're going to pass legislation by lawmakers, General Assembly, Congress, um, uh, then they're going to review it and they're going to decide. All right, is this a? They're going to use this mid level of right. Reviews. They're going to give it a mid-level standard of scrutiny and decide whether that's gone too far or not gone too well, far. Well, the Supreme Court hasn't addressed it yet. But that's what they have been using. That No. Okay. The Supreme Court hasn't addressed it at all. It's the circuit courts that have been using that. Now, the Sixth Circuit at one point did address it with strict scrutiny, but that got overturned on what we call an on, on banc hearing. Right, and they, they, you know, it's. In other been, words, it went up and went down, went, went back up. up yeah. And, yeah. So, so it, 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 it's pretty clear to me the writings on the wall. I don't agree with it. I think it should be strict scrutiny. What other fundamental right incorporated in the individual, like the First Amendment, is not held to that standard? But for some reason, it's always considered like the stepchild of rights. And gotcha. So it's probably going to, if it ever does get heard by the Supreme Court, going to be ruled. My guess is as intermediate scrutiny. All right. Now we're going to get to the good stuff. Um, let me just say something. Let me just pose a, a, an argument to you. If we got rid of all the guns, there would be no more gun violence. Um, so why not do it? Well, I like the word gun violence. I think that's interesting. I thought it's just violence, right? It's just violence. I mean, you look in, in, in England, they have a huge knife knifing problem right now. They're trying to get rid of knives now. Um, I just, I, I remember the first time I heard that, I thought it was a joke. Like you couldn't have pointed knives. Like what is, is it, like we in kindergarten? You know, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just violence, right? Now, violence you, where you use guns, I understand that. Uh, I don't think that getting, well, if, you would get rid of gun violence if you got rid of guns, but you're not going to get rid of guns. You know how many guns are in this country? There's an enormous amount of guns in this country. I heard a statistic once. I don't know if it's accurate. There is enough guns in this country for everybody to have like three guns. Yeah, no, it's an enormous number. crazy. Yeah. It's an enormous number. Um, the cost of getting rid of the guns would be enormous. It's just not practical. It's not going to happen. Uh, if the anti-gun community would be honest with their debate, they would say outright that that's what their goal is. But by and large, they don't. They say they're actually pro-gun. They just want common sense gun restrictions. No, what you honestly want ultimately at the end of the day is get rid of guns. Well, what about background checks? Background checks do exist. Uh, it's it's a very inaccurate system. I've had, I've had clients that are uh, disabled, legally speaking, from owning guns and they've been able to pass those By checks. disabled, they got a conviction yeah, or a conviction, some other... Yeah. Usually a conviction is what it comes down to or some yeah. sort of mental health issue. Um, I've also had clients that are not legally disabled, have led a very law-abiding life and get denied all the time. So it's not an accurate system. Uh, the government generally doesn't do anything efficiently. So the problem I see with the background check system, and I've seen it all the time, is if you come to me and your name's Steve Palmer, fairly common name, right? Yep. There's another Steve Palmer somewhere in America. 
My name's somewhat unique. So I hope he's having a successful career. I hope he is. Right. Uh, maybe he went out and raped somebody, and he's convicted of a felony. They're going to confuse you potentially with that Steve Palmer, and they're going to delay and or deny you. And to fix that, you have to hire someone like me and pay thousands of dollars to fix it. And as we're fixing it, it's going to take a couple years potentially. So now your constitutional right has been unreasonably restricted where you have to pay money and wait an unreasonable amount of time for it to be fixed. Now, hold on a second, because I can already see this coming. It's like, oh, sorry, you didn't get your gun quick enough. Well, at least we were able to prevent others who shouldn't have guns from out there, from going out there and committing violent acts. But it's not about the guns, it's about your constitutional rights. I think that's what makes this somewhat unique, right, is that we are dealing with a car. constitutional right. I hate the analogy with cars. Cars are licensed, so should, be, should, should guns be. Cars are not a constitutional right. You don't like that, then you have to change the Constitution. There's an amendment process. Well, there is. Uh, all right, a couple of quick questions. What about the rules? Am I allowed to go buy a machine gun right now? Like a fully, actually, before we even get there, let's, let's make, uh, one of the things that drives me crazy with this and other debates on these hot topic issues is nobody actually defines the terms. They say, get rid of assault weapons. Right. What's an assault weapon? Okay, so there's a few issues about the media that I have. Uh, one is the terminology. The other one is this notion that you can buy guns online. I think you should address both. And three, this notion that you can uh, just buy machine guns over the counter. So there's a lot of things going on where the media, they always get things wrong. It's always wrong. Or I often hear people will say this, they had a fully automatic assault weapon. I've heard fully automatic, semi-automatic in the same sentence once. Yeah, and, and yeah. It's, it's clear that people just don't understand. Yeah, I heard a full, full automatic clip once. I don't know what that is. But well, what an assault weapon... I don't like the term. I don't know what it is either. Uh, it was coined by, in my, if I remember correctly, the anti-gun community. But what they refer to generally is the AR-style rifle, right? And all an AR-15 is is a semi-automatic rifle that fires actually a caliber about the size of a 22. So uh, by semi-automatic, we're talking about the ability to pull the trigger uh, continually until the magazine runs out. Yes. But not hold the trigger in and let it right. just let it just spray right. bullets. Right. If you pull the trigger, one bullet goes out. You let go of the trigger, pull it again, another bullet will go out. And the alternative would be some sort of manual action where you have to you see people action. bolt action right. or where pumping you, it or something. Well, yeah, the action would be two steps, right? You'd have to charge the bolt and then pull the trigger. Charge the bolt and then pull the trigger. Well, obviously, the semi-automatic, pop, 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 yeah, pop, pop. you just pull the trigger. And then fully automatic, you pull the trigger once, hold it down, and it go, it'll spray the rounds. Well, by and large, the mass shootings or the, the, the folks are using uh, semi-automatic weapons. Yes. And uh, so let me just pose something else. Why on, nobody needs a gun that is capable of killing that many people that quickly. Guns don't kill people. The person kills the person, right? So... Um, that gun could be used for hog hunting, uh, and oftentimes often it is used for hog hunting, right? It is a rifle, just like any other rifle, uh, that fires semi-automatically. You're not going to get rid of all semi-automatic rifles. It won't happen. It can't happen. I think it's unconstitutional, to be quite frank with you. Well, forget about the Constitution for a second. Here, here's my practical and logical debate or argument on this. Not even a debate, but it, it, here's where I struggle, I guess, intellectually. We, it is impossible to uninvent right. the firearm. Whether it's semi-automatic, fully automatic, pump action, bolt action, revolver, flintlock, musket, whatever it is, we're not going to uninvent that invention. I mean, it's going to exist. Right. And we can outlaw and pretend that it doesn't, but then somebody will get a hold of one, build one, or otherwise well, uh, keep theirs. It's America's rifle. There is a ton of them in commerce. I mean, we're not talking about like New Zealand where... There's you know, under, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of them existed. You're talking about millions of these rifles. Well, existed. look, I mean, let's, you brought up New Zealand. Let's bring up Australia. They, they had a, a, what is it, the big federal gun buyback where they, mm -hmm. nobody's allowed to have guns mm -hmm. and uh, there's no mass shootings. What, mm -hmm. what about that? I don't know much about it. I haven't studied it, to be quite frank with you. Uh, my understanding is that there's still violent crime in Australia. It hasn't gotten rid of it. There's still guns in Australia. 
Uh, it's a much smaller country. They have a different constitution. It's a different culture as well. You know, our country was founded on the right to keep and bear arms. It's, it's, it, I don't like the analogies of the other country because we're not them. They're not no. us. Yeah, we don't. We're have, more diverse. We are a very diverse country. We're a very free country. Uh, and we do have that pesky uh, Bill of Rights that gets right. in the way of this. And, and look, no matter where you fall on this, uh, I think that deserves respect. I'm going to get back to that some more, but we're going to take another quick break. And we'll be back to talk about some more of the uh, tougher issues. All right, back from the break here at the 5.11 show, talking to Derek DeBras about guns, everything guns, history of guns, gun control, the big debates, uh, and all in between. Uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about Australia, and, and I was asking you about what some of the laws are now. Mm -hmm. And we, we sort of talked about, all right, we have uh, firearms and, and, and or semi-automatic weapons. What are those that you pull the trigger once? Mm -hmm. uh, and those are essentially the assault weapons that people are talking about. Um, what about automatic? Because I hear semi-automatic, fully right. automatic. What's an automatic weapon? So fully automatic, again, means you hold down the trigger. Single, the law says single function of the trigger for multiple rounds. So it could be just two rounds, right? If I hold on the trigger, it fires off two rounds, right? Or more, right? You can set it up that way. Yeah. And the military does what, three or two? Yeah, they have a three-round burst. You pull the trigger. And the re by the way, the reason there's a three-round burst is in Vietnam, it was spray and pray, right? They would pull up the right, their M16s and just, you know, and they're, not, they're not hitting, they're wasting ammo. Yeah. And they found that uh, the accuracy of fully automatic usually lasts about three rounds. So they limit it to a three-round burst. So you hold the trigger, three rounds goes off, let go, hold it again, three more rounds goes off. All right, so as far as fully automatic weapons, machine guns, uh, no shootings that I'm aware of anyway, these mass shootings we hear about are actually employing fully automatic machine guns. Well, <laughs> I don't say no, but the big ones that we're talking about. Um, yes and no. Typical okay. lawyer answer. Generally, yes. Unfortunately, the Trump administration took a different position on the bump stock. So they now define that as an, a fully automatic machine gun. So if you look at how Trump's administration defines machine gun now, then the Vegas shooting did invoke a machine gun. Now, the bump stock for years were determined by ATF not to be a machine gun because it, it you, your trigger was actually being pulled for each round. It's just it was an assisted mechanism that allowed your finger to go very, very quickly against the trigger. So a bump stock, somebody just takes a semi-automatic weapon and the bump stock, I'm picturing like a spring device that will, uh, the recoil itself forces your finger into the trigger faster. It forces seems. your finger as a pivot point and it actually rocks the rifle against your pivot point. Gotcha. Is what so it does. I mean, I mean, there's a, it seems to me, factually speaking, it makes some sense to, to treat that like a fully automatic weapon. Uh, except for the fact that we have these this legal definitional parameters that have to be exactly that have to be maintained. The, the law doesn't allow it. Yeah, the law doesn't allow it. I mean, practically speaking, yeah, it's just a different way a machine gun functions, I suppose. But that's not what the law defines it as, yeah. in my opinion. I, I don't know how. Well, again, let me Trump just be a that, let right? me be a criminal defense lawyer for a second. If you're going to accuse somebody of a crime, there are elements of that offense. I mean, literally elements, mm -hmm. and you can list them out. You have to prove right. like with an assault, knowingly cause or knowingly cause or attempt to cause right. serious physical harm to somebody else. Now they have to prove each one of those elements, mm -hmm. and then there's definitions of each one of those sure. elements. And what, what I think what helps people, or what helps me understand and frame this debate is that we have to, we can't just create a vague law that says you no. can't do that and not define exactly what the conduct is that you're prohibiting. And irrespective of guns, irrespective of anything else, the law has to be clear so an ordinary person can understand what it means. Now. If people are having trouble defining even or even talking about what a semi-automatic, fully automatic machine gun, et cetera, is, this is where as a criminal defense lawyer, I, I, I urge caution 
because yeah. if we're going to charge people with crimes for having these things that have been outlawed, if that happens, then there better be good definitions because then uh, we're going to either end up with convictions that won't stand up or convictions that shouldn't stand up. Right. Um, all right. So machine guns. Uh, what about uh, there was a there was a time where there was some sort of ban on guns in, in not that far back history, right? So we you couldn't buy an AR-15 type weapon for a while, right? No, that's not true. Um, I don't know uh, historically. I'm not a historian, but I don't remember there ever being a time where you couldn't buy an AR-15. Okay. I mean, there was city bans and local bans until uh, states started addressing that issue, but federally there was never a ban on the AR-15 style firearm. How about uh, machine guns? There, there was. Let me back up a second. There was the Clinton assault weapons ban, but it wasn't really a ban. What was it? It was a ban on certain features, like a like a bayonet lug, right? And my first AR-15 I had purchased was during the Clinton ban. It was it was an AR-15, just to have a bayonet lug on it. What's a bayonet lug? Uh, it's a little piece of metal that goes on the end of the barrel around that area where you can stick a knife on the end of it. Oh, all right. So just a, a, an extra bolt or something. Yeah. Um, so you bought an AR-15 during that. Uh, what about machine guns or fully automatic? You can weapons? own them. They're allowed to be owned. So I can um, go. I can, have, I can go buy one. Yep. Can I just go pick one up at a store and go home and take it to my safe. They're highly regulated and very expensive. Uh, you cannot buy a machine gun if it was manufactured after May of 1986, I believe. Um, so there's a limited market because you only can only buy used ones on the civilian market. Uh, if you find one because of the limited supply and the devaluation of the dollar, right? Uh, I think someone should do an economics paper on this. Uh, the price has skyrocketed, right? So the cheapest machine gun you're going to get is like a Mac 10, Mac 11, six, seven, eight thousand dollars in that neighborhood, uh, all the way up into hundreds of thousands of dollars for some of the machine guns. So they're very, very expensive, cost prohibitive, um, and additionally, there's a lot of regulatory paperwork you have to fill with the ATF. It's about a nine-month waiting period right now to get it approved before you can actually take the gun home. All right, that sounds like regulation. Yeah, it is. And where do you stand on that? Where do I personally stand on that? Uh, well, let me ask you, as a lawyer and individually. As a lawyer, um, I, I believe it's unconstitutional. I believe it, it exceeds the power of the government to regulate it. I think everybody should be able to have the battle rifle of the day, the weapons that the military uses, because, again, security of a free state, we have to be able to defend ourselves against a tyrannical government. And that's your argument against the notion that, hey, look, the framers, uh, God love them, uh, they meant that you could have like a long musket, not a... Machine well, that gun. was the battle rifle of the day. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, you, you don't uh, subscribe to the position then that the Second Amendment only uh, authorizes you or gives you the right to possess like the kind of guns they had back then. No, time of course not. That's why they have the amendment process. The forefathers understood that times would change and that technology was being developed. They knew that, and that's why the amendment process was there partially. Gotcha. So they put that in there. So. All right, let me shift gears. You said it. Uh, guns don't kill people. People kill people. That's almost cliche these it days. It is very cliche. Um, uh, what do you think, and, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here, Derek, but what, what is, what's the answer right now? We've got kids out there, largely young men, it seems, uh, not all the time, but largely young men out there uh, in, engaged in these mass shootings. And, uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't ever suggest that you're not uh, empathetic and sympathetic to that. Uh, what's the solution? I mean, what do you think? I don't know. I, you know, it's not something I, I've studied extensively. Um, you know, it's an interesting area of, of legal practice. You have to balance, you know, uh, societal safety versus the constitutional rights. And it's, it's difficult to do sometimes. And I work in the mental health field a little bit through the probate court, and I represent mentally ill people, and I don't believe they should have firearms. But they have a constitutional right to it until certain due process things happens. Um, you know, you have to find out what the root cause is, I think. You know, you can't just put a Band-Aid on the product. That's The only way it's going to work is you get rid of all guns, and that's just not going to happen. We, ha we have to start there. 
Well, it's even not. if you get rid of, I mean, here's my problem. Look, not taking either side, but I, I will reduce the arguments and expose them when they don't work because we can get rid of all the guns, but that doesn't mean guns don't exist. I mean, we're not sure. going to legislate them out of uh, the inventive imagination. People will build them. Right, people exactly. will get them. Yes. People will find them. They'll do right. whatever. There'll be a black market, whatever the argument would be. Right. Um, now, and, but at the same, I'm not going to commit the logical fallacy of saying it wouldn't make it harder for people to get weapons. Sure it would. Uh, it, it would be more difficult and it might slow it down. But I, I do not feel that it will eliminate uh, the violence. Right. Now, it might, it, certainly, if I, if I go in and want to commit a mass shooting and I can't get a gun, the, my other weapon may not be as deadly or it may not be as quickly deadly, if that's, a, if that's what it is. The, the first, I think it was the first, the first major school massacre actually was with a bomb. That was in the 30s, I think. Uh, you're right. People can invent things. If they want to inflict harm and make a name for themselves and uh, become go down in history as this evil person, they're going to do that. They're going to find a way. To, in Japan, there's multiple stabbings. You hear that in the news. And, you know, someone goes around stabbing people in the subway station. So there's always going to be a mechanism to inflict serious harm. You're right. People are inventive. They're going to figure it out. Uh, so you, you have to start with that notion. You're not going to get rid of guns. Uh, so what is the root problem? Right, because we can't just put a band-aid on the problem. What is the problem? We can't fix a problem we don't know what it is. And I believe it's a societal, cultural, and primarily family issue. Yeah, and, and I'm going to get to that some more. But the other thing I want to say is this: is that I, the, what I see, sort of standing on my in-between place, I see one side of this saying guns, 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 get rid of them, get rid of them, get rid of them, get rid of them. The other side saying no way, no way, no way, no way. This side saying it's a mental illness problem. This side saying it's not mental illness. Um, I, I see logic this way. In respect to the Constitution, um, if you had uh, limits on people's ability to get guns, just naturally I would think uh, those people, the people who couldn't get them. And but there is if, limits. If they, were, if they were prone to shoot somebody, well, that, that might be harder for them. On the other hand, there, there are limits that have been... There is, there's a ton. There, there's a ton. And like you said, there are limits. Uh, and they're probably going to get a gun if they really want one. Yeah. And even if they didn't, they're going to commit violence in some other way. Yeah, there's background checks and all kinds of stuff. But neither side gives an inch on either of those points. It's almost like, all right, it makes sense. Let's make it hard for mentally ill people to get guns and figure out if that passes constitutional muster. But at the same time, let's at least uh, address or study what's going on. And I, I fear that uh, one side of the anti-gun debate uh, is reticent to go study that for fear that it's about guns for them. And I fear that the other side is resonant to give an inch on anything else for fear that this side is going to take all their guns. And I see both sides of it on one hand. Sure. You know, it's like, it, it almost seems like the problem has become unsolvable only because we're unwilling to actually look at it. Mm -hmm. And if somebody actually said, let's get some psychologist in here to figure this out. What made this, this young boy or this kid in, in Dayton, Ohio uh, go off the rails? Uh, in El Paso, go off the rails. In Colorado, go off the rails. What is it? And I guess if you're, if if the side is going to say um, it's not a mental illness problem, then by logic they're sort of excluding anything except access to guns, and I can't accept that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there's got to be, uh, it's got to be deeper than that because otherwise. Everybody with access to guns would sooner or later go commit a mass uh, shooting, and that's just not. That's I agree. Possible. You look at all the gun control in the country; it's, it's normally a knee-jerk reaction that's based on emotion and not logic and not study. Right? It's after the MLK and the JFK shootings, we got the Gun Control Act of 1968. Um, the 1934 National Firearms Act was really propagated by the uh, Valentine's Day massacre and all the uh, gangland shootings in Chicago. There was all these things that occurred in society that led to these laws that were really 
the laws aren't based on logic and reason and study. They're based on something emotional that happened that we, oh, we got to fix the problem, right? Um, and generally, they don't work. I mean, we have the National Firearms Act. We have the gun contract of 68. Uh, we have a slew of regulations. You know, the gentleman, I think, in Dayton bought the gun legally, passed a background check. He did. Right? And it was completely legal for him to have the firearm. I, I saw the governor uh, was talking, of Ohio, was ta- Dwayne, was talking about um, promoting gun restrictions or gun control law uh, to address perhaps or somehow prohibit those who might be at risk from procuring firearms. What's your thought on that? I mean, well, or, or these, or the, what do they call them when somebody, it's like a future gun, you know, somebody's got some mental health problems and you go and you get a, a restraining order so they can't buy a gun. Nothing suggested in, in Governor DeWine's uh, speech would have prevented what happened. You can't point to anything he's suggesting and say it would have, pre- universal background checks. He passed a background check. We're going to prevent it. So why are we pa- why are we chipping away, as you said, on our constitutional rights when it's not going to do a damn thing to what occurred? It's not. So why? Why are we doing that? It's an emotional, political reaction is all it is. It's not logical. It's not well thought out. It's not founded in study. Well, then you're just not sympathetic to the victims of this, of this violence. I mean, I guess I, that's the case. And I find that argument, look, I find it sometimes offensive when I try to have discussions rationally one way or another. But I also find it sort of short, right? If it's hollow. It's, 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 it, 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 there's nowhere to go with it. Uh, you can't say you're just not sympathetic because you have a different... It's almost an ad hominem, right? It's, yeah. ju- it's just a personal attack at that point because you can't. You have no other argument, so you go into ad hominems, right? Yeah. You go into these yeah. personal attacks, and it's it, it is easy to do because it is tragic, right? right. It is totally tragic. Sure, it is. Uh, and and I hate that people are getting killed, and I hate that there's gun violence all over, and I hate that these mass shootings occur, uh, and I hate the most that people seem unwilling to really dig into uh, the heart of the problems and have those hard discussions in a bipartisan way, uh, because I think it's just become so polarized. Everybody's afraid that uh, if they do that, there's going to be a political perception, yeah, and, uh, and that'll have some adverse impact. Social media's had an impact on how we perceive these things, too. You know, you look at it statistically, uh, it's, it's not like a per, uh, pervasive problem as far as uh, you look at it statistically compared to all these other deaths that we have in this country with dr- alcohol and drugs and all those, uh, these other things. The very, very small subsect of, of tragedies in this country. But with social media and how information is passed on now, it's immediate. It's in your face, right? It's everywhere. Well, and, and we and can it, scream it, it a lot louder. And it does make a bigger splash, though, right? Yeah, so dying does. of a drug overdose in your bathtub is not right. the same as uh, as the shootings on on Front Street right. in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Sure. You know, that's yeah. a, the, it makes a big splash, and 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 they're often tied to other political agendas, like the, you know, there's these yeah. manifestos and all this other nonsense that goes along with it. Gun crime's um, actually gone down, I think, uh, over the last uh, several decades. It has statistically, crime has dropped. Right, yeah. crime has dropped in our country uh, in other countries around the world as well. And I, I just know this from uh, my practice and reading about it. But uh, I don't know that we've solved anything here at all today, Derek. But yeah. I think we have. Provided- we didn't need to get address the red flag, by the way. We, you asked me that question. Did oh, let's you, do it. Let's, let's let address that real quick. Yeah. So uh, red flag laws or what we call emergency restrictive protection orders or ERPOs or, or yes. something like that. Yes. Um, basically are the ability of a petitioner to call law enforcement and say this person's dangered himself or others. Go take his guns. They go take his guns. Uh, generally speaking, I'm not opposed to that, but there's got to be substantial due process rights. And if I petition to go take your guns away, I'm a relative of yours, and he's going to kill himself, and here's why, and I petition. And if I lie, right now, the way the laws are written, it's just a misdemeanor, which is absurd to me. It should be a felony. 
Additionally, if you say, no, this is BS, I'm going to fight this. Uh, you're talking about a constitutional right. Does the government provide you a lawyer? You know, there's all these things that have to be addressed well, in these red flag laws. This is not, to me, conceptually that different than time, place, and manner restrictions on uh, freedom of speech. So if I'm going to sure. go do a protest on the state house, I've got to go get a permit, and the government can say no uh, because it's at rush hour. But right. then they have to give me. A, they can't. They can't say no to me and yes to somebody else at the sure. same time, right? It has to be has to be fairly administered. The problem with this is the fair administration or the equality of administration gets a little bit suspect or, or a little bit hard, not suspect. It gets harder to measure because who you know, somebody has to make a, a subjective conclusion sure. or finding that somebody's got a mental illness and it is ripe for some sort of abuse. And I want to be clear. I, I'm not pro red flags. I don't think they resolve the problem. I don't think they fix the problem. Uh, but from a legal standpoint, uh, the way the jurisprudence currently stands, I believe they can be constitutional. I believe they could be, as long as there is substantial due process. But the ones in certain states like California, I do not believe are constitutional. You know, they're trying to expand it to allow employers to call. Well, and this is the problem. And, and, and this is where the debate gets confused because people start uh, conflating. Your, you, you just said you're not generally opposed, but sometimes the way they're written, they strike either too broadly, they're too vague, or right. impossible to implement in any constitutional there's no due, way. There's no due process protections. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna relieve somebody of a what, right. What did Trump say? Uh, take the guns now, due process later. Yeah. Uh, I, I hate to say this because uh, you know by and large most gunners are pro-Trump, but he's not a fan of the Second Amendment. You look at Obama, eight years of Obama's administration, not one gun regulation. Trump's already got gun regulation. Yeah. yeah. No, it's. Uh, it, it, now, that may not fit some people's narratives one way or another, but I guess it is what it is. Yeah. So, well, again, uh, I appreciate you coming in, sure. uh, kicking off the 511 show with us. Yep. Uh, there's going to be a lot more debate, and as I said before, I'm not sure you and I are going to be the ones that solve the problem. No, I, I appreciate it. It helps me think through problems and it challenges me as well. Well, we're going to wrap it up with that, Derek. Uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, why don't you tell everybody how they can get a hold of you if they need some help? Yep, they can just find me on Facebook, YouTube, uh, just Google up Munitions Group or go to munitionsgroup.com. All right. Well, this has been the show at 511. Till next time.